Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Matt Slater with us as usual. And our guest today is Lord Jim O'Neill, who since leaving government in 2016, having been commercial secretary to the Treasury, moved to the crossbenches of the House of Lords. He worked for Goldman Sachs from 1995 until April 2013, spending most of his time there as chief economist. Jim also served as a non-executive director of Manchester United before it returned to private ownership in 2005. A United fan, Lord O'Neill was one of the architects of the Red Knights campaign in 2010, which was an attempt to prize Manchester United away from the Glazer family's control. So first of all, Jim, what were the Red Knights? Apparently, uh, the Red Knights were a group of philanthropic-minded business people who wanted to take over Manchester United from a profit-with-purpose perspective or a philanthropic perspective. And we failed miserably. (laughs) Why? Oh, goodness me. I could spend a whole year talking about it um and as i sometimes joke to many one day when all else fails i write a book on a year in the day of a red night i'd say there are three core reasons first of all it was ridiculously ambitious what we're trying to do it required it required 50 people of thinking basically the same which is pretty hard to do given male egos and money my dear friend at Sky, and I still don't know to this day, Matt Kleinman, somehow managed to find out about it within hours of our very first meeting. So it became global public knowledge before we'd really developed our tactics, even though we had a strategy. Um, so it just became this mammoth global PR store. It's quite relevant to other issues we'll get into in a way. I think it made the owners realize even more just what a ridiculous global brand Manchester United is. And it kind of ran away from us. And the third thing in that regard, I think it made them realize what what a thing they'd stumbled over in, in terms of owning, rather sickly. That last bit is actually, from a United fan's point of view, the most depressing part of it all. Yeah. Isn't it? Because now they realise what they have, and we're we're talking a decade on or so, aren't we? You know, now they realise what they have. It make it would make it even harder to prize it off them, wouldn't it? Sadly, I think that's unfortunately the case. And there's there's aspects about how football and the business of football continues to evolve that I that simply go over my head. Somebody would have said to me three months ago that Chelsea would be bought for two and a half billion pounds, but it would require an additional commitment of 1.75 in order for it to go. 
I would have said you're smoking something you shouldn't be smoking. And obviously, uh, given the history, uh, that will make the Glazers think that United's worth much more than that. Um, and so the, this sort of what I refer to as a highly unstable equilibrium of their ownership just goes on. Jim, I want to come back to the Glazers. I, I, I really do. But let's just pick up on that point about Chelsea. What is it these very bright people are seeing in these loss-making football clubs? I don't really know. I think some of it is probably uh, attractive to people of certain degree of wealth where it becomes a non-financial uh, decision, which is not the case with the Glazers, I quickly emphasise, but it, it might be for a number of other owners. But uh, keeping that in mind, I suspect there are two other things that keeps them going. Number one is their failed attempts at a European Super League makes them think at some point something like that could be done for the top teams. And secondly, with it, I think they believe in this world of uh, uh, AI and uh, MetaVision that there are endless ways to commercialise the global football fan still. I'm, it's not clear to me whether that's real, but I think some of the financiers behind uh, the guys that have bought Chelsea and some of the others that are lurking believe that. It's, not, it's far from obvious to me that that, is, that that strikes me at these kind of valuations and where we've travelled from for 20 years. It is a rather optimistic view. Well, we talk about this endlessly on this podcast and we, we, we come up with the same answers in that we're not really sure. But look, what is it then about Manchester United and the Glazers that makes... Manchester United in so many ways are the exceptions to the rule. What is special about Manchester United? Why are they a sound investment? I'm not sure. I'm not sure for a normal human being it would be anymore, which is one of the reasons it goes on because call it an unstable equilibrium because I'm not sure there are many people out there in the world that would want to pay the kind of money that these characters would would want to take it away from them. Um, so that's the first sad reality. Second issue is the way the Glazers have structured this damn thing is that it, it allows them to do what they really want from it, which is to give them a a strong, regular, sizable cash flow. That if you look closely at their past, most of the businesses they've ended up owning are basically not very good businesses and not delivered much cash. And this thing, particularly because of the, the this weird two-tier share ownership structure where the only people with voting rights are the Glazer family, they can do whatever they want in terms of the cash flow. And that's what they really like. Third thing is how does this brand allow them to do it? Is it's just because of the the, the you know the combination of Munich, Law Best Charlton, Busby Ferguson, and it just lives on in this era of global contactivity. I bemoaned to all my United pals the day after Liverpool stuffed us at Old Trafford, Mark. The following morning, if I was a Liverpool fan, I would have been furious. The following morning, the BBC football website had six stories about United. None about Liverpool in the headline. Couldn't believe it. But I guess that's because 
some kind of internet algorithm is telling them that that's the stuff that people will read. And so in that in that sense, I think in that sense, I think the Glows is probably reasonably content about aspects of how this dreadful season has unfolded. That is a really interesting point because I've said this a few a few times that you know when Woodward made his comment about you know we can be commercially successful whatever happens on the pitch to to paraphrase whatever he said United being in chaos creates so you know so much social media traction as you say internet algorithms whatever it is United being a shambles means there's even more attention on the club now while some of that may be negative if you are the shirt sponsor or even the shirt sleeve sponsor or the training ground sponsor, you're going to get even more coverage because the pictures of them looking miserable at training or, you know, heads in their hands after conceding a fourth at Brighton or whatever it may be, your product is being plastered all over the web. I think it's true. One would imagine there is a point in time where repeated failure in terms of performance on the pitch might change it but I strongly believe that they don't think we are anywhere near that point. I haven't seen it, but I've heard talk that there was a TikTok survey of global brands done recently, and United is twice as high as the next sports brand, which was Barcelona. And this is, this is in the past two months. Jim, just, 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 just to turn the clock back a bit, to the glory days as well yeah. let's get some let's get some um, some joy back into this conversation i just remind everybody yeah. that you know you weren't you know <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't just a red knight you you're you're a former director you were a director you know the last board really before the glazers yeah. came in the plc board there what was it like running this sort of club was it easy as a united fan uh i'm part of what i think many from my generation you know we don't we don't sort of demand success what what we demand is some kind of purpose you know my my own personal favorite days of watching united was the year we were promoted but the the only time we went down i've been alive it was it was probably the most enjoyable year i've had as united fan and even the year we got relegated wasn't wasn't you know that that still felt good because you knew you knew united were trying to do something even though it failed what what appears to be the case under these guys is it's it's far from obvious other than allowing them to take cash out of it what is the purpose of Manchester United so going back to your question it was very hard and as somebody that had been brought up in uh, pretty high levels of international finance I was quite concerned as a as a director so I was quite nervous about it myself and it and it was but it was it was hard as uh, David Gill said to me a couple of times when I tried to challenge them about exactly these issues uh, it was hard, which is partly why, actually, no, I was going to say it's partly why there was some uh, attraction to the idea of being bought out. But that's not true because the board tried to resist it. And we didn't have any choice because it got to this crazy situation where the Irish guys had all the shares. And one, once uh, John and JP had decided to sell, that was it. We didn't really have, they tried to, we tried to resist it, but they, they, they made it very difficult for us um, in the rules of being a director of a publicly rated company, you're supposed to do what is in the interest of the shareholders. And they really, really put us under pressure about that. 
So when you say it was hard, was it was it hard just in that sense of fiduciary responsibility? You know, I work yes. for a publicly listed company. So yes. who uh, who's yes. my boss? So your boss uh, legally is the shareholders. But we had um, our legal advisor, Mark Rawlinson, he did a brilliant job for us in allowing us to point out, if you look at the exact statement we, we, we gave uh, ahead of the buyout, that we, 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 were not a, we, we thought the price was fair, but we made it clear we didn't think the uh, buyout was uh, in the interests of Manchester United. So we tried to respect the products, let's call it, as well as the shareholders. But it was very tricky. Uh, but it was tough. But, you know, and I, I don't, I think it's not appropriate for me to get too specific. But, you know, issues about, for a brief period, I was chairing the uh, audit committee, which included responsibility for signing off on transfers. Uh, and there was, you know, one incident where I'd signed the agreement to pay X amount of money for a certain footballer. And the next meeting, I'm told that uh, actually he's not coming to us, he's going to Chelsea. And so it was, you know, it was tough. It's interesting with shareholders in football clubs though, isn't it, Jim? Because not everybody has the same reasons for being a shareholder. I mean, you may you may have some who have a share, have a share in a football club because they do eventually want to sell it and make some money on it. But you also have a, probably, I would suggest, the majority of shareholders in a in a football club are there because they want to own a piece of their their club. So their motives are not necessarily the same as they are shareholders in I don't know Tesco's. Exactly right. But that's why I personally think the uh, the proposals that have come out of the fan review for the independent regulator and uh, some some clear steps to try and deal with that issue mark are 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 probably really sensible for something as sensitive to communities as a football club for that exact reason you know you can't you can't united has been executed by the glazers as one of the best private equity leverage buyout deals i've ever come across but it's a football club it shouldn't be something that's allowed this is a paid advertisement from better health therapy online do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. Is there a right way to own a football club? Do you, do you look at, is, is, there a, <laughs> is there a club that you look at at the moment and think, yeah, they're, they're owned the, the right way? <laughs> what a really... Tough question. Um, three parts again of answering. So two of my longest mates who happen to be United fans 
occasionally with increasing frequency say to me, who cares about who owns United? All our owners have always been rubbish. And it's a pretty interesting point. And I, I sort of try to reflect on it occasionally in the spirit of your question. And, and you know, there's an aspect of that is true. Second thing to say in that regard, I think it would be a bit arrogant and presumptuous of anybody, certainly me, to say this is exactly the right way to own a football club. And I say that in the position of the experience I've had of 40 years of being an international economist and finance guy or whatever the hell you want to call it. And because I think there's not a stable answer either. I think the right way to own something has to adapt through time and with society. And so it's particularly true, I'd guess, with a football club. So I don't think it's always a stable position. But the third thing I would say is I, I think particularly if it's something that is so important to where its origin is from, which, you know, some would say Manchester United is is not as big as that as some other football clubs, but I would I would put, given how far I go back, I'd, I'd actually dispute that. But it, I know it's a popular view, but I know what is the wrong way. And the wrong way is to treat it as a cash cow for highly indebted private equity people. I'm not entirely sure what is the right way, but that is not the right way. I wondered if you were going to say Liverpool, but you didn't. We, we couldn't get that out of you. But or, unless No, no, no you or, couldn't. Or Manchester City. Cities, I, listen, I, I know the city owners really well, and they'll be furious if I... You know, I, I really envy and respect the way they think with great depth and strategic focus on where they're taking City. Look at what's happened the past two days. Astonishing. But I'm not sure that's the right way to own a football club either. Jim, what I wanted to ask you, just I was trying to... Yeah. When, you were, when you were there, when you were running the PLC, I know you, I know you had those, you, you, you know, you... You felt those fiduciary responsibilities and you you felt them, you know, yeah. perhaps in a way that many other people in football weren't thinking that way. No, they probably wouldn't. They wouldn't have the experiences I had. No, ex- exactly. But what I, was, what I was also wondering was, what was it like to run Manchester United in its pomp? You know, when it was, and look, clearly you guys did it well, when it was not just winning games, but was innovative off the field. And the two are so linked, aren't they? That's, you know, one of the themes of this podcast, you know, Man United was was the one that was commercially savvy, was the one that was doing clever stuff with merchandising, was the one that had sort of, you know, brand people yeah. going, oh, look at that. You know, so, so when you look at them now, are they just lazy, complacent? Do you still see that same drive, that same sense of innovation, that same sense of we're big? Well, clearly not. I mean, just look at the... I mean, first of all, uh, I think the real... The real inspirational factors for United's great commercial growth in this regard happened before I was on the board. I think, uh, what's his name? Fried, Fried, I, I, I hear and read a lot of this guy, Friedman, who uh, was back and forth between United and Tottenham and Peter Kenyon and, and, and others, you know, played a really important role in, in fostering that. But a lot of it was, of course, you know, where you are in a matter of time that United finally winning the league just just as it became the Premier League and with the growth of the European Cup and it's morphing into the Champions League was very uh, fortuitous timing. And when I really looked to, to be critical of the Glazers' ownership, United were set up then to actually be the Barcelona of the next decade. And we already uh, didn't, you know, 
to to idiots like me that think about all these things and the passion of the club, we should have done so much better than we did. Uh, and it's because they then they weren't and they're not very thoughtful. Go back to what I've said. It seems to me the prime uh, attraction for them of owning United is how much cash they can take out. And all this business that I frequently read about the share price. I mean, United, owning United shares has been one of the worst investments ever since it was quoted. We had the best bull market in US stocks last decade ever, ever. And United share price hardly moved. And it's because they don't really care. Quite, quite why some of the people that own those shares who are institutional investors with no voting rights, I have no idea. But bizarrely, some do, I would imagine sooner or later they're going to come to a lot of pressure from their customers. They are clumsy owners. They don't, they're not the most imaginative, thoughtful people. The key point that you've made two or three times is because it is structured in such a way that they can get their cash flow in a way that their other businesses don't allow them to do. As long as that cash flow is still there, they will have no intentions of going, will they? I think that's right. I think that's probably right, sadly. Unless, unless there was some completely insane cash offer coming out of the blue. But from what I can see, there's hardly anybody in the planet that would do that. What would that be? Yeah, how could you value them? No idea. No idea. Other than I have, you won't be surprised to know, had repeated conversations over the years with people who are at the cutting edge of the artistic game of trying to value a sports business <laughs> uh and you, you know linked to that TikTok, and they 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 relate it to branding um and so united do come out right at the top of the value of any sports brand in the world but it's very subjective it seems to me and with the debt um, and with yeah, the debt yeah. that they have but uh, you know really really sensible risk reward business types i can't imagine why they would dream of beginning to think about paying that. In fact, I've discussed it with pretty well-known global business people who say, you've got to be joking. Why would I dream of doing that? Is United worth double, Chelsea? Can we move on to another question? I <laughs> all right, all right. Let's have some hope. Let's have some positivity. <laughs> could, you know, Let's have some... <laughs> you know they, they put it like this. The owners would probably think they are. Yeah, that's what I think. I'm not saying they're right. The I'm owner, just saying that's what they'd the ask owner, for. The owner, no, no, I, I'm, I'm far from sure that they're right, but they would probably think that. Is there any way to reboot United under the Glazer ownership? And if so, what what, what things, apart from winning games? Is that is that really it? No, I think it's more than that. Uh, I, I like what Gary Neville said publicly recently, but I'd go on to... I would like to see when the first day of uh, our new manager starts, that Joel Glazer is sitting there next to him and saying, we have learnt from the endless protests that as of today, we have a completely new purpose for Manchester United. It is X, Y and Z. Because the problem, it seems to me, United have today, and it's there's many crises coming out of the core problem is there's no there's no purpose other than extracting cash there is no what they need to develop is is profits it's fine for them to want some profit but with a purpose if you observe the way it's owned why would you not actually encourage people with such global brands like pogba to behave basically the same 
it's, it's horrible, but it's kind of perfectly logical. And so the more they preside over this way, the more, you know, the brands that they try to bring to attach themselves to it, they're kind of like, well, we'll just do the same. It's, it's horribly logical. But if you want to change it, it's got to come from the top. Uh, right, that's it. Don't forget that right now you can subscribe for just a pound a month. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.